The tales on this podcast are dark, sometimes scary, and full of adult themes. As a warning, the original story of Death of the Seven Dwarfs features violence, murder, kidnapping, discussions of sexual assault, and use of the term dwarf. Please exercise caution for children under 13. A young girl lay bound in a wagon as it bumped along a desolate alpine road. Her throat was raw from screaming for help, but she refused to give up. The driver of the wagon flashed her an evil grin. No one's gonna hear you. There aren't any homes for miles. All of a sudden though, the girl felt the horses grind to a stop. When she peeked out of the wagon bed, she saw something blocking the road. It was a figure clad in a long black robe. A shadowy hood obscured their face. The wagon driver waved the figure away. What are you doing? Get off the road! The figure didn't respond though. Instead, they unsheathed a long gleaming sword. The driver grabbed a gun from his pocket. He fumbled as he tried to pull the trigger. In that brief moment, the cloaked person leapt at him and, in a glittering flash, slashed the sword across his throat. Crimson flecks splattered the wagon. Now, the robed shape loomed over the young girl. She cowered, readying for the cold steel to stab through her flesh. Instead, though, the sword sliced through the ropes around her wrists with barely a whisper. She was free. Before the girl could thank the robed vigilante, they disappeared into the forest. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You're listening to Tales, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Wednesday, we dive into the dark origins of another fairy tale. You can find all episodes of Tales and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we're marching along with the death of the seven dwarfs. This Swiss fairy tale reminds us that not all good Samaritans are rewarded for their deeds. Today, we use the term dwarf specifically to describe a medical or genetic condition. Outside of that context, it's considered offensive, so we'll be avoiding the term throughout this episode. But in 1856, when Ernst Ludwig Roholtz published The Death of the Seven Dwarves in his collection, the word was commonly used to describe a few types of mythical creatures. For example, those in Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm's beloved story, Little Snow White. Death of the Seven Dwarfs was clearly inspired by that classic tale, except it doesn't have the same happy ending. Instead, this tale has its own spin on the story and gives the seven men a dark and tragic end. Luis raced up a cobblestone path to a convent just outside of town. A sign posted out front said they accepted all women and she was in desperate need of a place to stay. She glanced behind her, praying that her husband Charles wasn't still chasing her. As she pounded on the heavy wooden door, she could hear the gentle harmony of hymns coming from inside. After a few moments, the door opened. Louise was greeted by an older nun with a freshly pressed robe and white habit. 
when the woman saw Louise, her eyes shifted from mild annoyance to alarm. Who did this to you? She asked. Louise suddenly realized how she must look. She glanced at her reflection in a nearby window. Her left eye and cheek were as purple as a fresh plum. She'd never admitted to anyone that Charles hit her, and she wasn't about to start now. I fell, she said instead. The old woman placed her hand on Louise's shoulder. Don't worry, he can't get you here, she said. You'll be safe. Louise nodded thankfully and collapsed in the nun's arms. After Louise recovered her strength, the nun introduced herself as Mother Margaret, the head of the convent. She helped Louise to her feet and gave her a tour of the modest compound. Mother Margaret explained that the property had been a sheep farm. A devout farmer left it to the church, and over the years, the nuns had added more buildings. There was a small chapel with simple wooden pews and hand-painted portraits of saints. In the main building, there were beds and a large kitchen where the women prepared meals together. At the end of the tour, Mother Margaret turned to Louise. You are welcome to stay for as long as you want. We ask for only one thing in exchange, discipline. Louise nodded excitedly. She didn't care what she needed to do. Anything was better than life with her abusive husband. Over the next few days, Louise learned more about the nun's way of life. Every morning, they rose at dawn for silent prayers and ablutions. After cleansing themselves of impure thoughts, the women turned to preparing the day's meals. Every day, it was the same food, a simple stew of carrots, onions, and other vegetables that grew on the farm. Once the food was made, there was cleaning, gardening, and, of course, more prayers. When the women weren't praying, they maintained a strict vow of silence. At first, Louise didn't mind the exhausting work and rules. Quietly cooking stew and scrubbing were a relief after life with her husband. What she didn't count on, however, were the punishments. If she missed prayers, she was made to stand in the corner with her arms outstretched for hours. If she missed a spot while cleaning, she had to crawl on her hands and knees for the rest of the day. And if she mistakenly spoke a word outside of prayers, Mother Margaret hit her with a switch from a young pine bough. After one particularly brutal beating, Louise realized that she might have escaped her husband's tyranny, but she simply traded it for another, that of Mother Margaret. It was then that Louise made up her mind. She had to do something. That night, Louise waited for the nuns to fall asleep. She listened for their breathing. First it slowed, then lulled into light snores. When she was confident they were all in deep slumber, she slipped out of her bed. She folded her wool blanket and stuffed it under her arm. She knew she might need it to survive in the cold alpine environment. She would likely be on the run for a few days, looking for a nice family that would take her in. She could do chores for them, care for the kids, cook and clean, in exchange for a roof over her head. Anything would be better than her life with Charles or life here in the convent. So she tiptoed through the hallways, across the grassy yard, and into the woods. Not long after Louise left, though, she heard footsteps in the distance. It sounded like several people on her trail. Louise wondered if it was Mother Margaret 
or perhaps Charles. Either one might be after her, and she didn't want to wait around to find out who. In a flash, she took off running. If her pursuers were this close, it was only a matter of time until they caught her. She'd have to take a few more risks to get away. She knew there was a river nearby. If she could get to it, she might be able to float several miles downstream. If she didn't freeze to death in the cold current, it might help her escape. As she sprinted toward the sound of flowing water, however, Louise suddenly tripped on a root. In the darkness, she hadn't noticed the gnarled piece of wood jutting from the earth. As she tumbled, her arms flailed in the air, grabbing for anything to arrest her fall, but there was nothing to hold on to. She landed on the ground, face first. Louise tried to get up, but she couldn't move. Not only did her head feel like it was going to explode, but her ankle throbbed too. The pain was unlike anything she had felt before. Her vision narrowed to a dot in front of her eyes, and she felt herself losing consciousness. Even worse, the footsteps were almost upon her. Louise wondered what would be worse, dying here in the forest or living to face her punishment at the convent. Her heart raced as bodies surrounded her from the shadows. Except she realized it might not be Mother Margaret. It sounded more like men. Perhaps it was her husband who had found her. Louise tried to will herself to stay awake, to confront whoever it was. But it was no use. After a moment, she lost consciousness. Coming up, Louise wakes in a strange place. Imagine living with a secret so big that if anyone ever found out, it would change everything. Imagine carrying that secret with you every day, desperate to one day get it off your chest. Do you think you could take a secret like that to the grave? I'm Estefania Hageman, host of the new podcast series, Deathbed Confessions, the show where we dive deep into the most explosive things people have admitted to while drawing their last breath. From murder, fake identities, heists, illicit affairs, and even top government secrets. This season on Deathbed Confessions, we investigate cases like Frank Thorogood, the construction worker who claimed that the drowning of Rolling Stones founder Brian Jones was no accident. Margaret Gibson, a silent film actress who, while dying of a heart attack, confessed to one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Hollywood history. And ex-CIA officer Howard Hunt, who on his deathbed confessed to playing a role in the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Deathbed Confessions is a Spotify original from Parcast, airing episodes weekly starting July 21st. Follow and listen to Deathbed Confessions for free on Spotify. Now back to the story. When Louise came to, she wondered if she was dead, but then she felt a sharp pain in her head and ankle. She didn't have the energy to open her eyes, but she knew she wasn't in the forest anymore. She was in a warm, soft bed that smelled like clover. It was the most comfortable bed she had ever slept in, except her feet seemed to be hanging off the edge. If it wasn't for the throbbing pain in her body, she'd actually feel quite peaceful here. The dreamy moment faded, however, when she realized she wasn't alone. Someone, a man, cleared his throat. 
Louise suddenly remembered being surrounded in the woods. Maybe they had taken her prisoner. Her mind flooded with thoughts. Where am I? Who were those men? Perhaps Charles, her husband, had hired them to capture her. Her panic was interrupted by a gravelly voice somewhere in the room. This is a bad idea. You remember what happened last time. That girl brought us nothing but trouble. Besides, there's nowhere for her to sleep. A young, squeaky voice like a clarinet responded. She can stay in my bed if she wants. I'll sleep on the floor. We can't just turn our backs on someone in need. The old voice seemed to get more agitated. No, I'm putting my foot down. It's not worth the risk. The young one tried to rally the others. What happened last time was unfortunate, but I think we all learned our lesson. We should have been more careful. We won't make the same mistake again. Louise didn't recognize either of the voices. They didn't seem like Charles' friends, and they certainly weren't nuns. But who were they? She realized she had to find out. So she gathered her strength, sat up, and looked around. Her jaw dropped as soon as she glanced around the room. The short bed suddenly made more sense. Y you're all so small, she stammered. She was surrounded by seven men, each of whom was three feet tall. They each also had broad shoulders, muscular arms, and their faces and hands were smudged with reddish dirt. Some were old, some were young, but they all had a similar curious look. Louise had heard stories of these men living in the forest before, but she'd always thought they were just that, children's stories. Now she was seeing them with her own eyes. The one with the gravelly voice stepped forward. He seemed middle-aged and bookish with a salt and pepper beard. Small, she calls us. You want to stick your necks out for a woman who can't even come up with a courteous greeting? Not me, thank you very much. Louise held up her hands innocently. Sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm just surprised. I didn't expect to wake up here. Let me start over. I'm Louise. What's your name? The bookish man crossed his arms across his chest. I'm Otto, he huffed. The youngest one with the clarinet voice removed his hat and smiled at her. I'm Hans. We were coming back from the mine and saw you take a pretty nasty spill. Louise winced. My head hurts pretty badly, but I don't want to cause any problems. I should probably get going. She swung her legs out of the bed, revealing an ankle as swollen as a pumpkin. Hans rushed over to her side, but it was too late. She stepped down on her feet and nearly collapsed. Ow! She cried. Hans nodded. Looks like a bad sprain. You, you might need to stay off of it for a few days. Louise glanced around at her hosts. Most of them smiled at her but not Otto. He shook his head with displeasure. She can stay, but only until her ankle gets better. Louise held up her hands innocently. I would never want to inconvenience you. Otto shrugged. You already have. At that, Hans shooed Otto and the others away, then turned to Louise. Don't listen to him. Just rest your leg. As Hans helped her put her legs back in the bed, Louise leaned back in the soft, downy pillows. This certainly wasn't how she imagined her great escape playing out, but at least she didn't have to deal with Mother Margaret. 
or Charles. And on the bright side, Louise figured there was no way that either would find her here. Perhaps it was the perfect place to lay low for a while until she could locate a permanent place to stay. Soon, she drifted off to sleep. The next morning, Louise awoke with a start. She was surrounded by the men, all holding pickaxes and shovels. Louise screamed and hid under the sheets. No, no, don't hurt me. The men looked around confused and whispered amongst themselves for a moment. Finally, Hans stepped forward. We're not going to hurt you. These are just our work tools. After a moment, Louise cautiously emerged from hiding. Most of the men stared at her with genuine concern, all except Otto, who shook his head. Embarrassed, Louise spoke up first. Sorry, I'm just a little jumpy is all. Hans patted her hand. Don't worry, you'll be safe here while we're at work. Otto cleared his throat. <clears throat> Tell her about the rule. Hans rolled his eyes at the older man, but then turned back to Louise. Otto is right. We do have one rule for guests. There was an incident a couple years back. Louise squinted at them curiously and asked what happened. Hans shook his head. It's a story for another day. In the meantime, whatever you do, do not open the door for anyone. Louise shrugged. That's easy. I can do that. Otto shook his head skeptically and headed for the door. We'll see. The other men began to file out after him. Only Hans remained behind for a moment. Don't forget. Louise nodded. Don't open the door. Hans smiled at her, but added with a serious look, for anyone. With that settled, Hans followed the other men outside and locked the door behind him. Louise listened as the men headed off into the woods. She wondered what the big deal about the door was. They were in the middle of nowhere. Maybe they were hiding something. Perhaps they weren't the innocent men they said they were. Maybe she really was in trouble. After a moment, Louise hobbled to the window to make sure the men were gone. Then she searched the room for anything suspicious. First, she checked the seven beds. They were all kept neat and tidy, with sheets perfectly folded at the corners of the mattresses. After that, she checked the kitchen. It, too, was spotless. Louise spent hours digging through the house's trunks and drawers, looking through cabinets and closets, but nothing seemed out of place. She dug through every nook and cranny, looking for something amiss. As the sun was setting, Louise stood in the middle of the room. Nothing was menacing. They really were just friendly miners. She was about to crawl back in bed and rest her leg when she heard a violent knock on the door. It seemed to rattle the whole cabin. Louise wondered if it was the men back from work, so she limped over to a window and peeked outside. She couldn't believe her eyes. It was Mother Margaret. The nun's face seemed panicked as she snooped around the house, looking in the windows. Louise, Louise, are you in there? She yelled. Louise was so surprised she forgot what Hans had said about opening the door. She hobbled over to the entry and swung the door open. Yes, Mother Margaret, I'm here, she said with a guilty look on her face. Mother Margaret's eyes grew wide. 
Are you okay? Did someone kidnap you? Louise shook her head, confused. Kidnap? No, I'm fine. Mother Margaret gestured to Louise's ankle and bandaged head. Is someone hurting you in there? Louise grinned, realizing how it looked. No, you don't understand. I fell and hurt myself. Mother Margaret's face lit up with recognition. I've heard that before, she said. Come with me. We'll get you to safety. Louise stepped back inside the house. I assure you, I'm fine. Besides, I just realized they said I'm not supposed to open the door. A look of shock washed over Mother Margaret's face. They? How many are there? Louise realized this was getting blown out of proportion. Please, Mother Margaret, you need to go before they get home. This is all just a misunderstanding. At that, Mother Margaret craned her head inside the door and looked around. Seven beds? She stammered. She could barely get the words out of her mouth. I see what's happening. You're outnumbered and these men force themselves on you. Don't worry, I'll rescue you. Mother Margaret grabbed Louise by the arm and tried to drag her out the door. Louise resisted with all of her strength, but in the process, she stepped down hard with her injured ankle. Ah! She yelled and she crumpled to the ground in pain. Mother Margaret didn't stop, though. She dragged Louise across the threshold and out into the yard. You're coming with me, young lady, she said. But suddenly, the nun stopped in her tracks. She looked around to see seven men wielding pickaxes, shovels, and other mining implements. Hans stepped forward and raised his axe above his head. Take your hands off her, he said. Or we'll chop off your head. Coming up, a massacre in the forest. Now back to the story. Louise lay on the ground outside the home of the seven men who had taken her in. Mother Margaret had her arm in a vice-like grip. But squaring off in front of the determined nun were the seven men with their pickaxes and shovels. A smile spread across Louise's face as she realized her new acquaintances had come to her aid. Mother Margaret shook her head in disbelief. Such little men! Disgraceful! Louise scowled at her. They're not little men. They're gentlemen, and they've been very kind to me. Hearing that, Hans and the other men grinned. Even Otto couldn't help but smile. But there was no time to celebrate. Mother Margaret wasn't releasing her hold of Louise. The old nun clicked her teeth at Louise. Oh, you poor soul. Don't you worry. I'll free you from their abuse. Once again, Hans pointed his pickaxe at her. Enough! We're not keeping Louise here. In fact, she can go whenever she wants. He turned to Louise. Louise, do you want to go with this lady? Louise looked around. She didn't realize she had a choice in the matter. She looked at the nun and remembered the sting of the switch for burning the stew, for missing dirt on the floor, for speaking out of turn. After a moment, she shook her head. Absolutely not. Mother Margaret looked down at Louise on the ground. Don't you see? They've brainwashed you. Louise stood up gingerly. No, this is my choice. I want to stay here. Hans took another step forward, his axe cocked and ready to swing. 
Looks like the young lady made her choice. Now it's time for you to go. Mother Margaret held her hands in surrender. Fine, I'm going, but I have to warn you, little demons. You'll pay for this. Otto stepped forward. You're not the first witch to threaten us. I doubt you'll be the last. At that, Mother Margaret retreated into the woods. As the nun disappeared, Louise burst into tears. This time, however, they were tears of joy. She had never felt so empowered, so free. She wrapped her arms around Otto and Hans and thanked them for saving her, but mostly for reminding her that she had a choice of where to go. As Hans helped Louise back inside the house, she couldn't believe she ever doubted these kind, generous men. A few days later, life returned to normal around the cottage. The men went back to the mine and Louise worked around the house. It wasn't like the convent or even at home with her husband. This time, she looked forward to helping the men. It was a symbiotic relationship. Hans even fashioned a makeshift crutch for her out of an old pickaxe. One Sunday morning on the men's day off, Louise woke early. While the men were still snoring, she tiptoed out of the house and into the forest. After all they had done for her, she wanted to make them something special, so she decided to bake a rhubarb pie. While they slept, she planned to pick fresh rhubarb and surprise them when they woke. When Louise had all the ingredients in her basket, she started the trek back to the cottage. She looked forward to the smell of baking pie and to the happy faces of her hosts. But as she neared home, she noticed something peculiar on the horizon. Black clouds of smoke billowed into the air. Louise knew it wasn't ordinary smoke from a fireplace. There was something sinister about it. She hobbled as fast as she could with her makeshift crutch. As Louise got closer, she heard a curious sound in the distance. It was unlike any she normally heard in the forest. It sounded like metal clashing against metal. At first, she wondered if it was the sound of the men working in the mine or sharpening their tools but she knew they didn't work on Sundays. It had to be something else. This time, she threw down the crutch and ran for the cottage. Pain shot through her ankle, but she gritted her teeth and pushed on. Then, as she emerged through the tree line, she saw the source of the sound and smoke. The cottage was on fire. Flames poured from the thatched roof and windows. She could see several of the men scattered across the yard, their bodies charred and bleeding. The only one who remained alive was Otto, and he was locked in a violent battle with a black-robed figure with a sword. Otto fought valiantly with his axe. With each swing, though, the robed figure seemed to be draining the strength from the man. After several clashes of the sword and axe, Otto gasped for breath. Leave our friend Louise alone! He yelled. He made another desperate attempt to kill the robed warrior. Louise couldn't believe her ears. After everything that had happened, Otto was defending her. As she limped toward the house, she held up her hands. I don't know who sent you, but leave him alone. He's my friend. The robed assassin was distracted by the sound of her voice and spun toward her. 
It was all the diversion Otto needed. He swung the pickaxe upward and lodged it in the robed figure's side. At that, the assassin groaned and swung back around to Otto, slicing off his head. As Otto collapsed next to the other burned men, Louise burst into tears. No! She cried. But that only seemed to anger the assassin, who turned to the young woman. Louise realized she was next. She braced herself for the attack, but suddenly, the assassin dropped their sword and stumbled to the ground. At first, Louise didn't know what to do. Should she dash into the forest, run for help? After a moment, though, she gathered her strength and limped over to the robed figure. First, she picked up the sword, which was lighter and sharper than she expected. Then she turned to the person on the ground. Louise could hear their breath laboring under the hood. Louise wanted desperately to see who had attacked her friends, so she used the tip of the sword to pull back the cloak from the figure's face. When she did, she gasped and stepped back. It was Mother Margaret. From the corner of the old lady's mouth leaked a trickle of blood. Louise, she whispered. Louise knelt down to her. Why would you do this? She asked. Mother Margaret's mouth churned for a moment. I, I was trying to protect you, she stammered. Those evil men forced themselves on you. Louise shook her head. They weren't evil. They were kind and generous. They saved me. They saved me from you. They gave me freedom. Mother Margaret's face went pale as Louise's words sank in. No, no, that's not it at all. I was like you. My husband hit me over and over. I vowed never to let that happen again. I hunt down evil men. I want to protect all women from harm. Louise pounded the ground in disbelief. Then why are you so mean to us? A single tear squeezed from Mother Margaret's left eye and trickled down her cheek. I'm sorry. I thought it was for your own good. Discipline was the only way to keep us safe. Perhaps I was wrong. I'm sorry, Louise. I failed you. I failed the others. Suddenly, Mother Margaret's body went limp. Her eyes stared blankly into the sky. Louise hugged the woman's chest and cried. She could never forgive her for what she had done to Hans, Otto, and the others. But Mother Margaret thought she was doing the right thing, which just made the tragedy all the worse. That's when Louise decided she couldn't let it all be in vain. After digging eight shallow graves, Louise removed Mother Margaret's robe and rolled the bodies into the ditches. She covered them with dirt and placed flowers on top. Afterward, she wrapped herself in the robe, making sure to carefully cover her face. Then she picked up Mother Margaret's sword, limped into the forest, and vowed never to run from danger again. She'd run to it.
Even though the death of the seven dwarfs is a variation of Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm's classic, Little Snow White, it's not just a retelling of the same old storyline. In a way, the version Ernst Rocholtz published was an early example of a sequel. The version Rocholtz wrote down in his collection took a classic and gave it an overhaul. It added hints of sex and violence. In addition to racier content, the title was changed. Instead of an innocent headline like Little Snow White, it went straight for the jugular with The Death of the Seven Dwarfs. And of course, this version followed one of the most important rules of a sequel, the classic bit of writing advice, don't be afraid to kill your darlings. Thanks for listening to Tales. We'll be back next Wednesday with a new and exciting story. You can find more episodes of Tales and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free exclusively on Spotify. Join me next week for another dark and surprising fairy tale. Tales is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Nick Johnson. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Tales was written by Jesse Harris. With writing assistance by Adam De Silva and Nora Battelle. Fact-checking by Adriana Romero. And research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 